Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Hey, 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 Bass Edge Radio fans. This ain't no April Fools. This is Bass Edge Radio. Welcome to another episode. Aaron, how's things kicking over in your part of the country? Well, things have uh, definitely changed, Kurt. You know, normally you and I would probably find ourselves quarantined to a bass boat in the middle of the lake. But um, as we know, interesting times. Our hearts are certainly with people impacted directly by the virus and the condition and certainly our thoughts are with everyone on a global scale that whether you have the virus will have the virus had the virus uh certainly financially and just the way we know life has certainly changed yeah no question at all fortunately here at bass edge we can uh keep some normalcy running you know talking bass fishing and uh man we've got a great show ahead we've got you know some talk about Major League Fishing and BBT just had a great event a couple weeks ago in Texas at uh, Lake Fork. And, uh, man, we've had the FLW Pro Circuit squeezed in an event there toward the end of March uh, over at Lake Martin, which was a fun event for me. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But, man, this is an exciting time of year for fishing. Spring fishing, Aaron, nothing like it. It is uh, essentially the epicenter of bass fishing. So uh, we're going to be excited to talk about how to catch some spring bass and keep giving that educational tips to Bass Edge listeners. So uh, before we go ahead, we have another tip brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. Stay tuned. This episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with BASS Elite Series angler, Kelly J. Hey guys, everybody knows I love throwing a jerkbait, and I'm going to tell you the best Abu setup I've got is an Abu ALF baitcasting reel. It's an 8 to 1 ratio and weighs 5.6 ounces. I mean, this thing is super lightweight. You can make long casts in the wind, sideways, it doesn't matter. It's extremely accurate, and the most important thing is it being so light. Pairing it with a Veracity 16 medium light rod allows me to throw that jerk bait eight, nine hours a day in practice and eight or nine hours in the tournament. So go check them out, abugarciafishing.com. Great tip, Kelly. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, here we are with some exciting news leaking out 
from the folks at Megaware. Yeah, so in uh, new product development, and I don't know how much we can or can't say, Kurt, but I will. Uh, I'm going to lean on the lean side of information, but right. I will tell you. Hopefully, we are going to have the designer, the inventor of the Megaware team, will be with us in future episode. But there's not many things that I call revolutionary that is so basic. But I can't wait to share. Of course, everybody knows Megaware has been a proud supporter, partner of Bass Edge since inception. And you can check out everything at Megaware.com and certainly their social media. But yeah, Kurt, I know you've seen it. You've had your hands on it and uh, pretty exciting. I have and I am stoked, man. As you said, simplicity but necessity. Those are two words that come to mind on this product. That I always kind of think of, why didn't I think of that? You know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're exactly right. It's it's uh, oftentimes that simple, but uh, yet it just, just doesn't come out of everybody's mind. That's why we're going to talk to the inventor and the man that brought it to the table here uh, probably next episode, April 15th. So that'll be exciting. Also exciting, Aaron, I heard you got to spend some time out on Bull Shoals with uh, – Dr. J, who we talked about over the last couple episodes, did you get some uh, mental coaching? Yes, and uh, actually got to use some of the uh, conversation from our Angler Spotlight the episode before on throwing a jerk bait because my arms and shoulders and chiropractor loved me when I got back. But he, we had a great time on Bull Shoals, of course, down there practicing for my event. He came down for three days, and we got to spend some time out on the water. It was really unique, you know. The last episode having Jay on here, we were talking about people that will. Get give you positive feedback, not positive as in, okay, you're doing a great job, but realistic data that is going yeah. to make a difference. And getting to spend those few days with him and us kind of breaking down the water of when something wasn't working or when something was working, catching up on doing that, you know, it just goes back to, of course, the Psychology of Exceptional Fishing book and then his new edition that'll be coming out. But uh, fantastic. I caught him in the tournament, you know, was able to call both days, but the problem is everybody I else did too, Kurt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it, it is springtime, as we alluded to in Seg A, and uh, springtime is bass time. Dude, they are biting, and the, the keys to doing well seem to be not just catching limits this time of year. It's catching the better quality fish, and, and they move a lot, right? Because Boy, that is no doubt, no doubt. I mean, a three-pounder for me was a tough one to find, and uh, just couldn't get it done. And that's the difference between, like you said, being in the in the check line or, or being middle of the pack. Yeah, and it depends on what type of body of water we're on, right? I mean, we look at uh, two recent events, the Lake Martin event, uh, FLW Pro Circuit, similar to Bull Shoals, you know, three pounders are gold over there, right? And we had a champion there, Jason Abrams, a longtime FLW Tour angler, finally breaking through and, and getting the W, but catching spotted bass and largemouth bass, how to target and the movement so exceptionally. But then you take it to a totally different type of venue and you saw the MLF BBT and little hint to our guest today, uh, the, the champion of the Lake Fork BBT event, meant catching big ones and they were jacking them on frogs, several 10 pounders and nine pounders caught in that event. And just depending on where you're at really depends on what size fish you need to target and, and areas that are prevalent. You know, you go from Lake Martin, Bull Shoals, a Highland type reservoir to the Lake Fork venue. And then they had the championship on Lake Athens, you know, a smaller kind of low line type uh, lake. And, and those things are going to adjust what we're going to do. And we're going to continue to talk about that today. We've got the MLF BBT champion from Lake Fork 
coming up on the line. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to talk about how to catch more spring bass and adapting to conditions. Hang tight, Bass Edge Radio. Be right back. Hey, Bass Edge Nation. This is Mark Lassane. I'm BASS Pro, Brandon Card. I'm Jordan Lee. This is FLW Tour Champion, Andrew Upshaw. I'm Chad Hoover with Kayak Bass and TV, and you are chilling with Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Edge Radio is rocking into spring with some great info on pre-spawn and spawn bass fishing. Who better to help us continue our bass fishing education other than Bass Pro Tour Major League Fishing Champion, most recently at Lake Fork in Lake Athens, Ott Defoe. Thanks for joining us today, Ott. Yeah, absolutely, Kurt. Thank you all for having me on. And uh, yeah, that was a fun, fun week down there in Texas. Well, I, I almost feel like, you know, we kind of need to have our own parking spot for you here at the Bass Edge <laughs> Megaware Studios because it's just about 12 months ago that you won your last major event and uh, here we are again. Keep it up, Ot, and you will become yeah. that perennial guest. But uh, well done <laughs> claiming the BPT title last month there in Texas on Lake Fork in Athens to take your first win on the BPT tour. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, that was something that I've definitely been wanting to get. You know, we're only into our second season of the Bass Pro Tour, but this is my fifth championship and um i feel like one one that i fished last year on, on table rock i really kind of let slip through my fingers the, the second version we fished at table rock i, I should have had a chance to win that one but um you know it just, just wasn't meant to be but uh but yeah i definitely fishing against this group of guys man it is definitely an accomplishment to be able to come out on top with the way everything is structured and and just yeah so very thankful that this week went the way that it did and, and was able on that championship day to get it done. So we've talked a little bit about momentum trains in the past. You're on one of those trains. You're leading the points in the uh, mm-hmm. Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour. You're leading the heavy hitters at present. A great new special event they're having this year. Kind of off the beat path here a little bit, but the momentum train. Do you mm-hmm. feel like that's a deal? Do you feel like you jump on it, you jump off of it? You're definitely, in my opinion, on it right now. Um, I can't remember how many cups uh, you fished last year, but I'm sure it was three or more of the four potential. Uh, I ended up making two. I, I did. I, I was in good shape to have made the last one, but that was I missed the last Bastro Tour event because of my heart surgery. But yeah, I, I do feel like I'm fishing really well right now, and and I do think momentum and, and bass fishing is kind of a real thing for me. It's not so much that like I you know I caught them on a crankbait in this tournament. I'm going to take a crankbait to the next tournament and catch them on that again. It's it's really just that you're making good decisions. You know, you're you're trusting your instincts, you're trusting your gut, 
when it says to pull the plug, you don't hesitate. And when it when it says to stay and stick it out, you don't second guess that decision either. So that's so much to me what, what momentum and bass fishing, I feel like, that it looks like. It's just making those good decisions on the water, you know, split second on the water decision. You know, because if you wait around, you wait five minutes, you wait 10 minutes, you get so thin that it's 10 minutes you don't have at your next spot to make that work. And it kind of snowball effects. So having making those good decisions and rolling that from one event to the next, I think is a real thing. Completely agree with that. And, and I've seen it my fishing when when I'm rarely on the train, <laughs> but, but when I get on it, it's a fun place to be, and you try not right. to jump off, or That's you're never right. jumping off, just try not to fall. No, off. You're just but, on yeah, it's, kind of, it's, it's really like a, it's really like a you're riding a bull or, or a bronco, and it's it's bucking, and there's times that you're holding on, man. There's times that just throws y'all. Well, all I can say is at least you guys have tickets to be on the train. I mean, you guys have obviously <laughs> proven yourselves. So anyway, all right. Uh, well, interested to break down a couple of techniques in a really kind of situational fishing for our listeners today. First, let's tackle choke points, right? Yeah. Similar to how you capitalized on your on your BBT win there at Lake Athens. First, what is Ott's two cents on describing a choke point and some examples of why they're productive areas? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they, they can be natural, and in a lot of cases, though, they're man-made in the form of a bridge. Those are a lot of the most obvious ones. Look at Lake Fort, for example. There's a lot of bridges over the main lake, but they don't narrow down. You know, they're big, wide openings. Those don't really do much, in my opinion. You know, can the corner of the river be good? Can you catch some fish there? Absolutely. But those are not really the fine choke points so much and, you know, really get the benefits of them. But like that little small bridge there at Lake Athens, it was only over a part of the creek that was maybe naturally 75 or 100 yards wide, but it was narrowed down to like 50 feet, you know. So that's a very well-defined choke point. Some of our lakes up here in Tennessee, we've got natural choke points on some of them in places where, you know, two points of the bank extend really close to each other and where the lake was twice as wide as it's really narrowed down, you know, right here, just naturally the way the valleys are shaped and stuff. And those certain areas are always good. So some of those are natural, some of them are man-made, but they can definitely serve the same purpose. And, you know, the, the big deal, I, I think, with them is you combine that area that's narrower with any type of current, wind, power generated, natural current. Once you combine the two of those, that's when those choke points really seem to light up, you know, and be extremely effective. I want to run with that last point there, Odd. You mentioned wind as a, you know, also a factor in your success of finding fish in your practice mm-hmm. at, at Lake Athens. And, you know, if you would explain your thought process on the effects of wind, both really the good and the bad, and how to utilize it to your benefit in the pre-spawn or spawn time of year. Absolutely. Yeah, for me, the, you know, wind is, especially in your off Texas lakes, you know, a lot of those lakes are big, wide open. Our lakes in Tennessee, they you benefit from wind, but it's not so much that it's moving a lot of water around. It's just the fact that it's keeping everything stirred up and breaking up the surface of the water. But down there on your all's lakes, man, it can literally create pretty strong current. And then, you know, those fish will certainly use that to their benefit. They'll set up on ambush points, just like that you would if you were fishing in a river system, you know, and they'll use that current the same kind of way. So that's fishing in that current. And then those, you know, pre-spawn, a lot of people think of the post-spawn being a time when fish feed heavily. You know, they're fattening back up after they spawn. They're, you know, recouping and that sort of thing. 
they do the same thing right before they go to spawn. So they're going to be aggressive, they're going to be feeding up, and they're going to be preparing for the rigors of spawning. And that's my favorite time of year to fish is the pre-spawn because of that reason, because those fish are just aggressive, they're feeding, and uh, they'll get grouped up some. They're not always in really large groups, but they will occasionally get grouped up pretty good And that pre-spawn. But, man, if they'll use... Same deal as they will post-fall. They'll use anything they've got in their environment to their advantage. And current is certainly one that they can use to tuck out of just a little bit and wait on some bait to get washed by and, and then come out and blast them. So, great example of the pre-spawn aspect. As far as the spawn in particular, when is wind good in that scenario or bad in that scenario as far as once they move from the pre-spawn yeah. or you know into that, that spawn segment? Well, once they've really went to spawning, I typically try to stay away from wind you know more often than not i'm looking for a little bit clearer water most times and if i'm trying to sight fish like i was down there actually at fort i would more times than not try to find a place out of the wind sometimes some of the places i have you know may have wind blown into the pocket and it does still make the fish a little bit more aggressive you may not be able to see them but you can just fish through those areas fishing where you expect them to be and still catch them so it, it does typically make them slightly more aggressive but it's not you know, it sounds it, like it's more definitely limits your bill. Angler perspective than maybe no. a fish perspective, right? I mean, R- right, absolutely. Yeah. If you're wanting to sight fish, it's a, it's obviously a big detriment. If you don't want to sight fish, but you know the fish are spawning, then fish where there's some wind, and a lot of times you can still catch them on a spinner bait or a swim jig or bladed jig, floating worm. You know, stuff that you can just fish with. A lot of times you can still catch them doing that in those areas where it's windy instead of having to sight fish. Got some great information there. Now, uh, primarily, you know, in the coverage that I was able to see, you cranking your way on that choke point there at Lake Athens, just absolutely, you know, a phenomenal hour of fishing. There yeah, yeah, it was. No matter what, you, you know, whenever you catch a nine pounder, it's a phenomenal time. <laughs> you catch a nine right. and a five, and a, you know, and da 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 You know, you yeah. go down the list of catches that you had in that. <laughs> Not just fun to jack on. I mean, that's just fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I went back and watched it, and, and yeah, I enjoyed watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, successful route to several of your victories over the years. You know, obviously you dominated Douglas Lake and any time, you know, a major circuit has gone there. Uh, Mississippi River, Bassmaster Classic, last day, you know, around the dock area. You know, even going back to the All-Stars event at the Alabama River, you're able to identify, you know, kind of areas that have multiple bites. Like a lot of freaking bites. Not just like three to five, but I mean like. 15. What are your experiences from those commonalities that you're able to take forward? And, and I don't want to say it's easy to reproduce. Obviously, you just come across those areas and then you capitalize. But you've got a deal going that this isn't just a happenstance. So what do you think it is that's helping you gain the perspective on an area that allows this to happen? Man, it's, it's kind of just the way I've always fished, to be quite honest. And that's why when I started fishing in the selects and, and major league fishing and and of course, adding the Bass Pro Tour to it as well. That's why I felt like it was a good suit for me because that's how I've kind of always structured my fishing. It was always I, I could go back, but the first the first year I fished any real high level professional events, I fished the FLW series sure. at like the uh, first event. I missed the check because on the third day I had four fish. That's a day I still not forgot. Had I had right. a, fifth one, a, a twelve and a half inch spot, I would have gotten a check. And I've just always prided myself on when it was a five fish limit on catching a limit. That was something I've always prided myself on. So finding areas that have 
members of Bites has always been a priority. And it does go back sometimes to finding a pinch point or finding an area that's got current or fishing wind or those type of things. Those are generally ways that you're going to generate a good number of bites. Not that you can't catch a big number of fish off of docks, because you certainly can. But, you know, if you're fishing docks exclusively throughout the day, you'll probably run across five or seven bites. But, you know, unless you combine those docks with some wind or with some current or with something else, your chance of catching 20 or 30 is probably going to go down. So it's kind of just the way I've always approached it was even when it was fishing everything for a limit. I wanted to make sure I caught five first. I'd like to catch five in the first hour, and then I'd worry about trying to upgrade from there. So really kind of even stems back to that. Good stuff. Okay, great. Man, it makes a lot of sense. You've nailed it down. (laughs) I don't know how many major wins that is now, but I think it's eight, seven or eight. As far as huge regional events like Opens or, or FLW Toyota Series. Yeah, or, I think it was six with Bass, and then this is my first one with Major League Fishing. So, yeah, I think it's seven would be three Opens, an Elite, All-Star, and then the Classic. So, yeah, I think that's right. Eight's around the corner, I'm feeling. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're going to take a short break, man. We're going to power pole down for a moment. Bass Edge Radio will be right back for more BBT Champion Odd Defoe. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, power pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Lowrance Electronics, returns with Major League Fishing Angler Odd Defoe in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products for oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. I love talking about techniques. Going back to a little bit of what we talked about in the in the previous segment of the show on Lake Fork, you know, spawning fish seem to be a part of your key success. Um, yeah. What are you looking for in a good spawning area? And let's talk to the listeners a little bit too about Ott's techniques when he finds those good areas. Well, absolutely. Yeah, the, the thing that was really important there at Fork. I truly feel like these were the first waves of fish that were coming up to spawn. I really believe that. I think that this was, you know, the very first groups that were coming up there. So knowing that, and then I had some decent wind in practice, not terrible, but some decent south breeze in practice, but it was extremely warm. So that warm surface layer of the water was getting blown into the north pockets because of that south wind. You know, so that's pushing a little bit warmer water into those places. You can go into a pocket on the north end, you know, or just the north side of the lake, not necessarily the north end of the lake, but just the north side, that place that was catching a little bit of south wind. And it would be 62, 63, 64 degrees, somewhere in that range. And uh, you could go to one that was on the south side of the lake, and it would be like 58. I mean, pretty big difference, really. And when I started seeing that, I immediately wrote off most of those south-facing pockets, and I wouldn't see many fish in them. You know, may see one, going one that's on the north-facing side and see like three or four. You know, so there was that. And then the other part, being the first wave, they almost always spawn really, really, really shallow. I've seen that on places in Texas. I've seen it on places in Table Rock Lake in Missouri. I mean, I've seen it 
all over the map that that first wave of fish spawns extremely shallow. You think that's just because that's where the warmest water is at that point? I mean, the you know the exactly. water may be three, four, five degrees different at the four to six foot depth, whereas at the Absolute. twelve to yeah. 18, eighteen inch depth, and I agree. I seen them they get freaking shallow. <laughs> yeah, that's what was amazing. I mean, when I think it was on my second day of practice down here, when I really started seeing a good many fish, you know, you're kind of looking out there at the edge of what you can see, and the water was dirty. You could only see maybe a little bit more than a foot. And uh, that's typically where you look a lot. And I'd be looking out there and not see much, not see much. And then I would just kind of glance up, you know, almost in the dirt and be like, whoa, there's a fish. And and it was, I actually, I actually saw some, honest to goodness, that were bass, that their backs were touching the surface of the water. Their back fin was, honest to goodness, out of the water. <laughs> it was really, really incredible just how shallow they were. I don't know if I've ever seen so many bass so shallow. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, you know, I wanted to talk too about, you know, techniques, you know, identifying these fish. A lot of times when you see fish that shallow, or even if they're two or three foot deep, you know, you see anglers bomb something over at a light spot or, you know, something mm-hmm. they identified of a bed. Maybe they see the fish and well, you know, first thing that happens, you bomb one right on top of them. You just, right. they, they gone, right? And, yep. And, uh, yep. and a lot of anglers are thinking, okay, well, you know, it's uncatchable. You can't get – what kind of presentations – are most effective for you to fish for these shallow bass and try to not spook them, give yourself some patience to see if they'll return if, if in fact, they do get spooked even off of a good cast. Let's talk about a few of those things. I think they're important that most people aren't really identifying when they're out there fishing this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when, when they're that shallow, you basically have to use something either weightless or, you know, almost a surface bait or, or something that you keep on the surface. Even a, a swim jig actually worked for me some in practice on those fish that were so, so shallow. But they were still pretty aggressive at that point. But some of them were so shallow, you weren't going to catch them. I mean, you just, <laughs> you couldn't get your bait near them without spooking them. You just really couldn't, you know. But those were fish that were not locked onto a bed. Even the ones that were that shallow that were locked on, you honestly, like you were saying, plunking a bait on their head, you could do that. And those were some of the craziest fish I've ever seen. That I mean, I, I made some bad cast fishing for them, sight fishing, and they wouldn't move. I mean, I literally would land the bait on that fish's head that is in seven inches of water, and it would move. You know, so it really blew me away just how locked on some of those fish were and how they weren't, you know, weren't moving even with a really bad cast sometimes. That's insane. I mean, when you think of fish being that shallow, you would think, you know, you throw a lure in there and they're going to swim under the boat and out to the next cove getting hit with a lure. But, hey, while we're talking about lures, you employed a newer technique for mini anglers, the, the Tokyo rig. Kind of walk through your thoughts or your experience with that rig in the springtime and, you know, maybe compare to the Texas rig and, and give kind of the listeners, you know, a comparison of the two and your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the mechanical comparison of the two right from the start is almost like a fixed drop shot. So it's got a little metal leader. I was using a heavy-duty wide gap version. So it's a, you know, the VMC heavy-duty wide gap hook, but it's got a little metal dropper that's attached to a ring that sticks out off the bottom, which is, it essentially makes it like a fixed drop shot. Then you put a weight on that, uh, on that little metal 
leader, then hang your bait on that wide gap hook. Then I'll wear a Texas red course, just the bullet weight in front of the hook and, and keeps it all on the bottom. Where with this, it kind of keeps your bait up off the bottom. But I'll be honest and say these were the first bass I've ever weighed in in competition on a Tokyo rig. I've used it some just fishing here and there and caught fish on it, but these were the first ones I've ever weighed in a tournament. That's actually it, refreshing but, to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> they they were. Like, God dang, you know, the Tokyo's been around for, you know, what, maybe 24, 36 months in, in yeah. general. And I'm thinking, yeah. damn it, you know, these guys keep staying ahead of the curve on me. And, and right. I, I, it's refreshing to hear that even on Defoe is not, not that you're behind the curve in any way, shape, or form, but I'm off this parallel path, right? right. <laughs> How about right. you, Eric? Yeah. Have you caught any fish on a Tokyo rig yet? Uh, negative. Negative. Hey, so that's, okay. that's why I was anxious to ask this question so anyway. yeah like i said i've caught a good many fish on it i've I filmed my show filmed down in, in louisiana with it some and caught a lot on it but and i've carried them in my boat for most of that 24 months that you were talking about but i've just not got one out and tied it on so, so um, with, you know, I, with that being back. said i mean because i'm the same way like i'm carrying the dang things around you know for a tournament mm -hmm. or what have you what possessed you to say, yep. oh, I'm going to use this and I'm going to weigh in my first. I mean, I know I'm being facetious, but I, I think you kind of get. <laughs> no, the, that's get exactly. The no, that's exactly right. And I, I was I was rigging up my tackle and, and the thought come across my mind to rig it, but to also do something I felt like fairly unique with it. So I had fished a swim bait on the bed, not, you know, for bass for quite a while, whether it's a typically a belly weighted swim bait and uh Man, they just sometimes with a swim bait, you know, that looks just like a fish, you put that on a fish's bed, and they get extremely aggressive. And, and I've caught a lot of fish on a swim bait on the bed, especially bigger fish, especially like four-pounders and up. They just, man, you can use a five- or six-inch swim bait, and those fish get so very aggressive sometimes. And you might just make them mad with that, then throw a wacky worm back in there and catch them or whatever. But sometimes you actually just catch them on the swim bait. So I, was, I rigged up two Tokyo rigs, actually, one with a crawl and then one with a swim bait on it, a four, just a four-inch swim bait on that five-ball hook. And that was my thought process was that I'm going to have, you know, this thing rigged up. It's going to be above the bottom like a fish is most times. And then, it, you know, it just it has such a freedom of movement on that Tokyo rig that you just barely shake it and the way the bait moves and stuff. So it wasn't just putting a creature bait on it, but it was actually putting a swim bait on that Tokyo rig. And then, uh, then presenting it to those fish that way. And when I thought of it, that was what I thought. And I actually, when I first saw the Tokyo rig, that was what I thought to do with it was to to use it on the bed, not necessarily just a swim bait. But then I, I thought that it could be a very effective bed fishing bait, the way that you keep the bait up off the bed a little bit. You know, than just kind of the freedom of movement that it has, which is the slight rod tip movement. Not just a uh, power drop shot, but maybe even a power drop shot on steroids. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that ring, you know, you're, you're tied to a swivel, then there's a ring that goes through the swivel that attaches to the hook. So there's like a joint, you know, there that allows the hook to move kind of freely of the line. So it actually moves a lot more than it does on a drop shot where you're tied directly to the hook. So it just really allows for a larger freedom of movement. Well, definitely some thought processes on how to incorporate a Tokyo rig and start getting comfortable with it because uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's something that's going to be a part of our tackle boxes for free. Makes oh. me want to get out there yeah. now, Ott, and, and try it. The <laughs> daggone boat ramps are closed. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Have they closed your all? They mentioned it here, but then they, they were like, no, we're not going to close them. Yeah, so the... Uh, Upcoming tournament on Table Rock, which is uh, actually was supposed to be here 
obviously this airs April 1st, but it's supposed to be the, the 4th and 5th. They had to cancel that because the Corps of Engineers out of the Harrison, Arkansas, mm-hmm. pulled all the regatta permits. So, yeah. Here, here at Lake Amistad, we can still fish. The, the ramps are open, but they have suspended all tournament activity because you have to have a yeah. permit to have a tournament. Right. So they yeah, that's kind of... But you can still get on the lake, which is important. Yeah. They've still been having tournaments here as of, as of now um, and in Tennessee. But yeah, no, I know Texas kind of does their own thing anyway. They do whatever they want. They don't need the rest of the year. Well, of course they do because they let Kurt in. So they, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love getting deep, man. I really enjoy interviewing guys like Ott, you know, that are that are thinkers, analytic, and because that's how I like to play the game, and it's just fun to talk about. But let's go into weightless worm fishing, right? You utilize yep. this also at Lake mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a part of me that feels like it's becoming almost a forgotten lure, maybe because the Nico rig is becoming more and more effective and more people yeah. are utilizing the Nico rig. I think the Nico rig, you can fish a little bit faster than a weightless wacky rig, yep. but there's probably times for both. You know, when do you consider yeah. one or the other and what helps you identify the correct technique to use, whether it's weightless or a Nico, you know, a weighted essentially wacky rig that, that falls right. at an angle. Yeah, for me, I'm this is probably still one I am behind the curve on. I don't really go to a weighted version unless I have to. You know, and, and have to being I'm probably trying to fish more than four or five feet deep or we've got just really, really strong wind that, that I'm you know, I'm having trouble getting my bait to the bottom. But for me, yeah, if I can fish it weightless, I just feel like I get more bites. And there's there's definitely times when I'm I could fish it faster and still get the same amount of bites or possibly more bites even in shallow water two or three foot that i could i could use a nail weight and, and possibly get more bites but I, as of this point i man if i'm if i'm fishing less than three foot it's weightless 100 percent. i just really like not having a weight on it I like the way the bait moves and think that i catch more fish because of it I'm going to take us totally in a different tangent because, you know, Kurt's a deep thinker. I'm more into kind of the qualitative things of what makes a person make their decision. So one question that I've got to ask you, because, you know, and I, and I, I say this at the risk of putting myself now in jeopardy with Kurt, but, you know, I, I like wearing shoes even around the house. You know, I, I've got to ask you about the no shoes. You know, I always tell my girls when they get up in the basketball to help, help me start getting stuff ready. I'm like, get your shoes on. Don't sit down on any hooks you know that kind of thing but uh yep. what led to this and and what temperature is your cutoff and maybe even explain what i'm talking about there oh yeah yeah no definitely fishing barefoot where you're at there uh, what led to it uh, kurt when we fished the, the last time that the only time i've ever fished at the california delta um the last time we were out there with the elite series right i was actually walking back from the truck this was a bad place to do this <laughs> so i was walking back from the truck to the boat and i had a blowout on my flip-flop and so we're there what was it is that like discovery park or something we were at in sacramento pretty yes pretty discovery rough place. Park. that's right yes 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 it was, it was a pretty rough place wasn't it <laughs> uh, yeah walking around barefooted i mean i'm not gonna say it was dusted with needles but you could find a needle or two around there <laughs> right right so i, I mean I, and I and i have a bear i have a blowout so i'm like i didn't have time to go back to the truck i don't think i had any more flops in the truck so i, I kind of hobble to the boat you know as best i can without making much contact with my one barefoot so i get in the boat and i'm like family got a fish barefoot today you know and i really really liked it so I, I started doing it then and then that may have been the same year that we actually started fishing the selects and wearing a 
you know, in a boat that's not our own and actually running a different troll motor than what I'm used to. And the button was on the wrong side and being barefoot made it really easy to find the button on the troll motor pedal. The blowout was what led to it. So it's but not really also, the the Rick Klein answer that I was looking for that it puts you more in tune with your surface <laughs> and closer to the water and stuff like that. It's a total it's, practical. It's not any of okay, okay. Yeah, for me, it's it's pretty pretty practical at this point. Um, I, I've got some really large toes, and I can I can grip <laughs> the deck of the boat better, and I can work the buttons better on my talon or on my trolling motor. Stand up on the on the trolling motor, and I've got a pretty good grip of it. So yeah, I'm just I'm just more comfortable and um, flat footed anyway. So. Yeah, so do you know out. any other barefoot anglers? Because I actually know of one that's an up-and-coming guy. We're, we're actually uh, trying to get him on for our next episode. But do okay. you know any other guys that fish barefooted? I've, I've actually, of course, Aaron has done it. Aaron Rodgers has done it a good bit for, for quite a while. Uh, well, Aaron's just crazy. Boat. He even wears those shoes that, like, separate your toes. I mean, yeah, he wears those sock like shoes, shoes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't even know where you could buy something like that, but yeah, that's what I think he's got them in every color. But uh, but I've noticed Zach Birds fishes barefoot a fair amount, and then I've, I've started noticing the the uh, big show that Terry Scroggins does too. Uh, really? So yeah, so there, there actually are a few guys that do. The temperature cutoff for me, you was asking, it's a, pretty much sixty. If if it starts out at sixty in the morning, I'm probably gonna be barefoot. Okay. That's good. I like, I got you. I like 60 degrees. So uh, the, the angler I'm referring to is Matt Becker. He's a he's a younger angler coming up on the uh, FLW Pro Circuit. He's okay. actually in second place right now in the in the AOI standings and did really well last year, qualified for the Cup. And, and uh, anyway, he's a barefooter. So I'm okay. thinking there's, some, there's something going on. I mean, you dude, you had Burge, Big Show, Defoe. Becker, dude, I might join. I'm, I'm thinking. Take I'm, your shoes off. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking that is the new. <laughs> that is the one nugget that is definitely coming out of this episode. We're gonna have more barefoot <laughs> anglers out there now. <laughs> All right, but you, you you do have to be aware. I mean, don't just be throwing hooks down everywhere. You know, that may, just, you gotta just, be tidy, you, tidy in your boat. That's now, yeah. Right? Don't let the floor look like Iconelli's where you've got <laughs> you've got treble hooks and rusty hooks and stuff just laying everywhere. Now you got you got to pick up after yourself a little bit. It's a it's a responsibility thing. Well, you're good at that. You got lots of kids. You know they go fishing with you all the time. You're always probably mm-hmm. cleaning things up. So yep. it makes sense. All right, guys, we're going to dive into a listener question segment presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Ot, this question comes from Luke out of West Virginia. I actually picked this question because while you were at Lake Athens, you caught a couple of white bass on the bridge, I think, before you started jacking the big large heads. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the most unexpected fish you have caught while fishing for bass during practice or tournament, and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Um, It'd probably be a sturgeon. Actually, I snagged a sturgeon. On Chickamauga, I was right below Wattsport Dam, snagged the sturgeon right in the side and, and on a swim bait. That's probably the most unexpected. It's the only sturgeon I've ever caught in my life. And, you know, definitely those are a pretty unique fish. Um, yeah. Now, that would have to be the 
oddest fish I've ever caught. You know, anything, any adjective you want to put there, uh, yeah, that, that would probably be it. I don't know that I learned much from it other than I can remember when I was reeling that swim bait, you know how if you'd like a dock cable underwater, how your line feels if you're if you're thrown over a dock cable and you you know, you can feel your line coming back up to it as your as your bait gets close to it. It was that feeling. Like I can I can feel in my line, I'm like I'm over something. It feels weird. And I and I reel it and I reel it and I reel it and then finally it just hits it and stops. And I jerk and I jerk and I jerk and I'm like, What it what's I mean, I can't imagine I'm right below the dam. It should be just open water. And I thought maybe I, it was a piece of wood or something that washed in there or, or, or cable. And I jerk and I jerk and I, and I hold my rod up and then it just starts pulling down. Just starts going down. I'm like, whoa, I've got something alive. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it would just pull and pull and pull and then it finally come up and then you could feel it just, I mean, I was hooked it almost dead in the side. So it wasn't like you were feeling the tail back and forth. Yeah, and, and fought it for several minutes before I ever got it up and got a look at it. That's crazy. I didn't even know there was sturgeon in, in the Tennessee River. Is there? Are they mm-hmm. all, through all the, the lakes on TVA chain? Most all of them, if not all of them. They had been there way, way, way back, I think, before the dams. That They were actually natural okay. uh, in the system. Then they ended up pretty well dying off. Um, but down there at Chattanooga, the Chattanooga Aquarium was right there on the river and uh, on, on Nickajack. And they have reintroduced them throughout the whole river. I've actually seen them. Saw one in the French Broad River up above Knoxville, above <laughs> where you know where the Tennessee even starts. I actually saw one up there one time. So yeah, no, it's a deal with it that they reintroduced. But they're it's something like those fish have to be twelve or fifteen years old before they reach maturity enough to spawn. So they're you know they're a, they're a really fragile fish basically because of that. So, you know, something that they've tried to take care of. But they do have spawning sturgeon back in, in our river system. Yeah, well, I, I know that Kurt knows this, but uh, to kind of throw out one for uh, for Luke, was uh, this was back in the day early on, probably 06, 07-ish range. We were on Table Rock filming uh, one of the very first episodes for Bass Edge TV back then. And Mike Webb, uh, I did not catch it, but we were actually drop shotting right there on the James River at the mouth of the James in the White. And uh, Mike hooked something. Of course, we're fishing with, you know, six-pound, eight-pound test line drop shotting and right there on the channel on a channel drop-off, and he hooks into something similar deal. By the time we get it up, 45 minutes later, it's a spoon wow. that he actually caught in the corner of the mouth. And you know they're vegetarian. Uh, right. They were not in season, so we were not allowed to possess it. We took it over to uh, the bank to try and get it off, called the conservation. They said, well, congratulations, take measurement and uh, the girth and let it loose. But, yeah, it would have been a line-class record. I think still to this day he's got his picture hanging up with that thing in um, uh, Bass Pro That's there cool. in Springfield. But, uh, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. We didn't really learn anything from that either. So <laughs> Okay, so, so let's take this one step further for Luke. What can we learn from a fish we do catch? So, for example, at the Athens event, you caught a white bass there. You saw, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you saw the fish on your side scan as you're cruising through the bridge. You said, hmm, that looks good. Let me throw at that a few times. And you catch a couple whites, but you stayed with it. What do you learn when you catch white bass or striper or or maybe even a crappie? What can we yeah. take from that and, and develop that into a bass fishing knowledge? Yeah, the white bass especially. And, and the time of year when bass are especially postponed, they get white bass and and black bass get in the same places. Um, man, they, they're they're feeding on the same things, and and you'll see it from the time that bass first get postponed 
all the way through, especially through the shad spawn. And then, you know, and when they start moving out on, on offshore structure and stuff, they like to be in the same places because they're feeding on the same thing. So that's something that, that you'll see in the time I fished, the only time I'd fished previously on fork was a postponed deal. And that was, a, that was a big thing there then was if you caught white bass, there were probably bass around. And if you got a bass to bite around those white bass, it was probably going to be a big one. It was something that I definitely learned learned from that particular experience. It's the same way on Douglas Lake up here. Come about first of May, first part of May, all the way through June. You catch some white bass on a place. You need to keep fishing because there's a good chance there's some big largemouth there with them. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, thank you so much for answering that question, Luke. Certainly, we appreciate you sending that in to be answered here on the show by Ott. One more thing, though, that we do need from you, Luke, is to log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize segment tab on the website, and uh, let us know your personal information so that we can send out the Bass Edge gift directly to you. And a reminder, Bass Edge listeners, send in those questions to the show via our website, BassEdge.com, to have another shot at winning a gift from Bass Edge Radio in the coming months. You can also email us, support at BassEdge.com, or leave us a comment on our social pages. Well, as always, it's been a treat to be able to chat with you here after your BPT victory. And you're always so gracious with your time, consummate professional, and we know your time is uh, very demanding. And as we close this down, and hopefully you get to go out and maybe listen for some turkeys, any uh, closing yeah. thoughts for, for the listeners? Man, just uh, appreciate you all having me on again. And uh, it's always fun to spend some time with you all. And uh, and just hope that the listeners will get out and enjoy some springtime bass fishing. Hey, uh, where can uh, folks find the television show? The TV show will be airing on this first Saturday in April. Um, be the first episode for the Hunt for Monster Bass on uh, on the Outdoor Channel, and that, yeah, that'll be on there. I'm not sure what time it will be airing yet, but that's when the show will be on, and then it'll, it'll air every every Saturday for the second quarter. But also something to check out not, not on my social pages, but also we've been adding a lot to YouTube here lately and um, doing. You know, like a, I don't, I don't want to call it a recap, but it's kind of a, you know, a redo of the whole event from each stage of the Bass Pro Tour. So this one's actually going to be the first one. That's a two-part deal. That's a, it should already be up at this time on there. I know that the first half is, and the second half should be up here pretty soon if it's not already. So it's something that I've been, been working on and, you know, wearing a GoPro and having another one in the boat for the tournament. And uh, it's been fun filming them and making a lot of great content. I appreciate it, man. It's, it's great to hear all the uh, all the outlets. We can catch a piece of art and, and continue our bass fishing education. Thanks again for taking time out to discuss some spring fishing knowledge. Bass Edge Nation, hang in there. Aaron and I will be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, 
PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent. PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt, interesting times, dynamic times, changing times. I don't know how you want to say it, but one thing that is constant, and that is Ott's ability to deliver when we have him on the show. Yeah, you know, it makes for a great conversation. It helps me think, you know, a little bit more intuitively, more than normal. I know that you always rag on me for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's fun chatting with Ott. It's great to pick up some tidbits here and there. And also, as I mentioned in part of the show, you know, it makes you see that even though an angler like Ott, full-time, and he's constantly learning, right? Learning new techniques, learning new things, and he doesn't pick it up before everybody else in the industry necessarily. But when he picks it up, he sees a presentation or a situation or a technique or way to attack a fishing strategy, and you know he turns it into success in a lot of ways. And um, a lot of it comes off as past experiences, and that's what's so important that we can listen here on Bass Edge Radio is a lot of us don't have the time to spend that much energy on the water, but when we get there, we want to be productive, and, and these are the types of shows that help us be more productive once we get to launch the boat for a weekend of fun. Yeah, no question. Ott is just, uh, he's one of the best at it. I thoroughly enjoy all the anglers, quite honestly, but Ott has a unique way of presenting information to where my small brain can actually digest it, and then I can actually go and attempt to put that to use on the water. I just want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to episode 325 here on Bass Edge Radio. You know, one thing that I will uh, throw out, Kurt, and maybe you can circle back on as well as we close out a more unique episode, I would say, just given the, the times that we find ourselves in. You know what? Take time, even though we're supposed to socially distance, maybe pick up the phone, make an extra couple phone calls, check on some people. Let's not be so uh, isolated that we forget to look after friends, family, loved ones, the elderly, those that may be struggling, not just with the virus, but perhaps financially or even emotionally, given the fact that we've all been cooped up in our respective houses. Your thoughts on that, Kurt? Yeah, Aaron, great comments. Um, great thought process right there. Uh, you know, hopefully as, as time progresses, as all things, they say, you know, this will also pass and we'll resume to normalcy and just uh, hopefully we can provide a piece of that with Bass Edge Radio and uh, just talking about things that uh, we have a passion for, we have fun with and just uh, love the sport of bass fishing and pray for the health and the prosperity for the nation. Absolutely. Great point. And uh, certainly one has to believe that uh, the pressure on the bass will be a lot less. So uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the fishing's liable to be off the hook as well as the economy returning and everything else. So with that, I will shut it down for episode 325. Kurt and I thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. And uh, please, if you have the opportunity, check out all things Bass Edge through all of our social media platforms and certainly BassEdge.com. But in the meantime, two weeks from now, episode 326 on April 15th, no longer tax day as we know it, but we look forward to spending yet another episode with all of Bass Edge Nation. So long, everybody. Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge, brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, 
Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.